So the passage this morning is John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. Uh, You can find that on page 1668 of the Bibles uh, in the seats. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and then said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you were going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Thanks, Robin. I wonder if you're into flying kites. um, I've got one here. My kids and I really got into flying kites over the summer, and I have to say I really have enjoyed doing this ever since I was a little kid. This one um, makes a kind of roaring sound when you get it into the power spot in the sky, which makes it really entertaining and really fun to fly. Now, whenever I'm flying kites, I think of um, a guy called Benjamin Franklin. Have you heard of him before? He's like one of those scientific investigators who, or scientific explorers, however you want to put him, uh, who kind of looked into electricity, tried to work out what it was, and Benjamin Franklin was supposed to have flown kites in thunderstorms to try and capture electricity from the clouds. Benjamin Franklin also said this, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And if you go flying kites in thunderstorms, death seems to come faster to you, doesn't it? Perhaps that's why he knew that. Death is on view in John chapter 11, isn't it? There's no way we can escape it as we read through John chapter 11. But this morning, I want you to let go of that idea just for a minute. Let go of the idea about death in this passage because I want you to see around death to the very big idea that I think is on view in this passage. I think this passage is really about the glory of God and the glorification of God's Son, Jesus. Death is part of the story, resurrection is part of the story, but it's God's glory and the glorification of the Son that I think is the main thing that we're supposed to see in this passage. Here's a a question that I'd like you to have a think through as we uh, just enter into John chapter 11. How does God express his love towards us? How does God express his love towards us? wonder what you think. I think there are many ways in which God could express his love towards us. But in this passage, we see God revealing himself. God showing his glory through and in Jesus. And we learn in this passage that that's an expression of his love towards people. And so today, I want you to leave here with a full belly, having shared in our lunch after church, but also I want you to leave here today having seen the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son as we work our way through John chapter 11.
Death and taxes, there is certainty. Benjamin Franklin was right in that. But this whole passage helps us to see the glory of God through the defeat of death and the giving of eternal life. That's what this passage is about. We'll also see the resurrection of Jesus and him claiming to be life. Jesus reveals to us in his words and his actions who he is. He reveals God to us in his words and his actions and we see it as glorious. We see that those who believe in Jesus, yeah, our bodies might physically stop working one day, but we will never really die. And that's glorious as well. So John, the author of this gospel, I think today he wants us to see Jesus' glory. He wants us to believe in Jesus and see the glory of the Son. That's where we're going today. Let me just give you a little back, background as to where we are in John. We've been working our way through a series, looking at the way in which Jesus describes himself. And I wanted to do that at the start of our year, because here at Trinity Church Unley, we are a church that's all about helping people to get to know Jesus and then to live for him. And what better way to get to know Jesus than to read about him in the Gospels, and particularly to read about how Jesus describes himself. So far in our series, we've seen Jesus call himself the bread of life and the light of the world and the great I am. We've seen Jesus describe himself as the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. And as we've looked at each of these statements, we've seen a different aspect or character and power of Jesus. Last week, we saw his compassion and the care that he has for us as his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This week, we're seeing Jesus from another angle. And that angle, I think, is designed to show Jesus in all his glory and majesty. So let's get into it. Chapter 11 begins by telling us that there's a a man named Lazarus who's sick. Lazarus hasn't got man flu he's really unwell, right? He's really sick. And we learn in the opening verses of this chapter that Lazarus lives in Bethany and he has two sisters, Martha and Mary. And we learn soon that Jesus and Lazarus are good friends. In verse 3, the sisters send word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. I wonder if you've ever received a message like this before. The one you love is sick. Maybe it was about an aging parent. Maybe it's a long-term friend. You know, usually the message goes something like this. Grandma's sick. You need to come home. And the implication is, of course, that this is a serious sickness. Death is close. Come home. Listen to Jesus' response, though, to this in verse 4. If you've got your Bibles open, have a look with me. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. I reckon the disciples, having heard Jesus say this, they would have been thinking at this point, fantastic, we're about to see the healer get back into work. For God's glory, Jesus is going to heal Lazarus. I imagine that's what they were thinking. We're about to see another miraculous healing. But that doesn't happen, does it? Instead, Jesus 
stalls. He, he puts on the brakes. I think these verses are key for us. Verses 5 to 7. This is what it says. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and then said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. It's not really what you'd expect, is it? Here's what I would expect. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he dropped everything and he rushed back to be by Lazarus' side. That's what we're expected to do when we get that phone call, isn't it? Grandma's sick, you need to come home. And when you get that phone call, you drop everything. You don't just kind of say, oh, I'm just going to put my feet up for a few more days and relax, or I might go and catch a movie or, or pop down to the beach. No, when you get that phone call, you're online immediately booking flights. The next available flight, straight home to be at the bedside. Especially if it's someone you love. But what happens here? Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why? I think it's because he's lazy and... And not because the weather's better where he is, or not because he's got a work meeting he just can't possibly get out of. No, John tells us he stayed where he was because he loved them. He stayed two more days. What does John mean? How is this the most loving thing for Jesus to do, to stay where he is two more days? Well, here's how I think this all connects. Because Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he wants his glory to be revealed to them. I'm borrowing this idea here from John Piper, the American pastor, but it's true, isn't it? God shows his love to us by revealing himself to us, by showing us who he is and and what he's done for us. God's love is expressed in us being shown his glory. So here, because Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He wants them to see his glory. He wants them to know who he is. And who's that? The resurrection and the life. Now, I think they've already got an inkling. I think they've already tasted that Jesus is good. They've already tasted that his power. They know he can heal sickness. And I think that's part of the reason why they sent for him in the first place. And yet Jesus wants them to know more. He wants them to not just have tasted him, but rather to have feasted on him. To eat the bread of life and to to drink the living water. He wants them to see him in all of his glory. He wants them to know that Lazarus' sickness, it will not end in death. Even though, of course, Lazarus will physically die. He wants his friends, those who he loves... To know of his glory and his power and his majesty. He wants them to know it and see it with their own eyes. To know that he is the resurrection and the life. Now if you're looking down at your Bibles in verses 8 to 16. We see the disciples here trying to persuade Jesus not to go to Judea. They almost stoned you last time is kind of what they're saying. But but Jesus is not really concerned. I think this those passages are saying he's not concerned because his hour has not yet come. And so together they head off. And when they get there, we find out as readers that Lazarus has been in the tomb already for four days. He's well and truly dead. 
And back when this happened, it was customary for families to pay professional mourners. And it's likely that part of the many who come from Jerusalem that we read about in this passage, who come from Jerusalem to Bethany, were professional mourners and they were paid to be there. But in the midst of the hustle and the bustle of these professional mourners, there are three interactions with Jesus that John records for us. Three interactions or greetings with John, that John records for us, I should say. I'm again thankful for John Piper's insight into this. And I want you to see the three interactions. And then after that, we're going to go through them slowly together. So here are the three interactions. Firstly, in verse 21, we see the interaction with Martha. She says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 21. The second interaction was with Mary, the other sister, in verse 32. And Mary says exactly the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then the final interaction we have is with the Jews watching on and they say... Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Three interactions with Jesus. Let's look at Martha first. Jesus responds to her with what uh, John Piper calls theological truth and powerful words. And I think this is a very helpful way of putting it. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha, it seems, almost offhandedly says, oh, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's like she's saying, I know all of that. I know the orthodox Jewish belief. Well, it's worth pointing out that this was still hotly debated at the time, particularly among the Sadducees. But we learn that Jesus is not just thinking of the end times. He wants her to see right in the story that he is the resurrection. That this will happen through him. And so he says to her, in verse 25, one of these great I am sayings that we've been looking at. Let me read to you verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. These are incredible words, aren't they? I don't want to just rush on and keep explaining the passage about what's happening here without just giving you a few moments to let these words settle in. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. He's saying death is not the end. I don't know what your experience with death has been in the last few years. I've been involved in a few funerals in the last 12 months. Seems so final, doesn't it? death but here jesus is saying death is not the end i think that's supposed to be glorious for us as readers death is not the end because jesus is the resurrection that's god's glory on view and jesus wants martha to see that he's the resurrection that it happens through him i've got a quote from don carson i think i can put it up on the screen or jonathan can put it up so Don Carson says, Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. Just as he not only gives bread from heaven, but is himself the bread of life, so also he not only raises the dead on the last day, but is himself 
the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. You see why John Piper calls these powerful words? I am the resurrection and the life. Powerful words. And Jesus asked Martha a question. Do you believe this? I don't think he's asking Martha if she believes in the resurrection the last day. Rather, she's asking, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I, Jesus, am the resurrection and the life? It's a question I think that we've got to ask ourselves today. Who do you think Jesus is? What do you think about the authority of John's gospel at this point? Do you believe this claim? Do you believe that Jesus is the one, the one who raises the dead and gives life? And if you do, how has that changed you? See, if you believe this, that Jesus is the resurrection, the life, surely you care that others know and believe this also. Our news has been dominated, hasn't it, over the last month or so with the coronavirus. It seems to be getting more and more likely that the virus is going to become a worldwide issue. If you had the cure for that virus, what would you do about it? If you invented a vaccine, what would you do? Would you just hold on to it in yourself? Of course not. You'd want others to know about it. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes me will live even though they die. I hope that motivates us as a church towards mission. I hope that causes us to want others to see God's glory in its fullness, knowing that he is the resurrection and the life. Powerful words, the resurrection and the life. Well, next we see Mary, next interaction, Mary interacting with Jesus, and she says the same thing that Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's a little bit of a difference here, though. Mary's weeping. We'd expect that, wouldn't we? Mary would be weeping. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. They've had powerful words. They've got powerful emotion. In John Piper's language, powerful words, powerful emotion. The question I want to ask you is, what exactly is Jesus' emotion at this point? See, every commentary I've read this week comes up with a different idea at this point. Some say that Jesus was powerfully upset at the reality of death in this world. He's seen the brokenness of the world. He's seen that death was never intended. It was never God's plan. And the death of Lazarus then moves Jesus deeply because of that. Perhaps that's what his emotion is on view. But at least in this chapter, he had delayed coming, it seems, especially so that Lazarus would die. Death was his intended outcome so that he could reveal his glory. So why is he deeply moved? He's about to raise Lazarus. He knows what will happen. So some question, really, is that what Jesus' emotions are running so hot? 
Others say perhaps it's more likely that Jesus is not so much upset by death at this point as he is at the sadness of those who are looking on. He's just said that he'll raise Lazarus. And yet everyone around him is crying. And this might point to their underlying unbelief in what Jesus can do. In the favour of those who hold this position, that Jesus is upset at the crowds crying, the NIV translates the word here, deeply moved in spirit, as a word that can also, so the, the original word can also be used kind of to describe that noise that a horse makes when it blows out of its nose, when it's kind of angry or warning you. And so in a sense, that deep movement then does have an aspect of anger tinged to it. Maybe Jesus is upset that the crowds aren't rejoicing that he's there, rejoicing that Lazarus is about to be raised. And then there are other commentators who take a halfway point. They say perhaps both of these things are on view in this passage. Jesus is upset at death and also upset at those who are disbelieving that he will raise Lazarus from the dead. What is clear is that Jesus comes to the tomb in a heightened sense of emotion. Take the stone away, he says. And it's Martha who objects. Martha, who just a few moments before had seemed so confident in who Jesus was and what he could do. Martha says, he's been in there four days. It'll smell. And here's the kicker in verse 40. I think this links back with verse 4. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So Jesus is about to demonstrate exactly who he is. The resurrection and the life. And Lazarus' resurrection then will demonstrate the glory of God. That's why Jesus delayed in coming. He wants his glory to shine. This is the moment. And yet Martha, the one who earlier had given Jesus such a definitive answer as to who he was, this is what Martha said, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. That's what Martha had said. And yet here when it's about to happen, she doubts. It'll smell, she says. And yet the stone is removed. And Jesus, looking to his father, You know this again, we've seen this so many times as we've worked through the I Am sayings. Jesus does not work in isolation, but always with the Father. He commands Lazarus to come out from the tomb. Lazarus, come out. I love what one person I read this week said, and it's purely a postulation, but they say, why does he name Lazarus? Why does he say Lazarus come out? Well, he's in a graveyard and maybe if he had just said come out, all the other tombs would have opened and all the dead would have walked out. And so he calls just to Lazarus, Lazarus come out. And what happens? Well, the glory of God is displayed and Lazarus comes out of the tomb wrapped in his grave cloths. A dead man raised. What do we do with all of this? today i think the first question we need to ask ourselves is this who is jesus he says he is the resurrection the life but it's not just his words is it he goes on to actually be the resurrection and the life in the raising of lazarus who is jesus well he's the one who can raise the dead 
He is the resurrection. He's the one we need to put our hope in. I hope you see here the sheer power of Jesus. He calls to Lazarus. Come out. Perhaps if he hadn't have named Lazarus, all the other bodies would have come out. That is the power of God at work. This is the great I am who is speaking. I think there's also one other thing that we can take away from this passage, and it's in terms of how we think about and how we view death. Particularly how we should think about death in the context of those who have placed their hope and trust in Jesus. So yeah, at one level, death is a picture of what's wrong with the world, and I think it's right that we should ache and hurt when we're confronted with death. God didn't create us with the intention that we would die. Death is a result of the fall, a result of the brokenness in this world. I want to acknowledge that. Philip Jensen wrote when he was speaking about the death of a grandson, how terrible to be writing about the death of a grandson. But he writes this, When we cease to rage against death, we've given up on life. Death is the horrible reality of our life that screams, there's something wrong with this world. And that's true, isn't it? Many of us will have felt that many times in life. Death reminds us that there is something wrong with this world. And yet, in Jesus, we have the great promise of the resurrection. That those who believe in him, well, they will live even though they've died physically. I think that should colour the way in which we think about death. Death is still physical separation. It, It still involves heartache and a sense of loss. But for those who believe in Jesus, it's not forever. For even though they die, they live. The Apostle Paul, I think, catches this really well when he writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul's not saying in this passage for the Thessalonian church that there's no place for grief, but he is saying don't grieve like the rest of the world who have no hope. We have hope. And that hope is in the person of Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. Death is a certainty in this world in the sense that our bodies are going to physically stop working one day. Benjamin Franklin's power of observation served him very well in that respect. Unless Jesus returns, at some point, our hearts are going to stop beating and the blood won't circulate and these bodies that we have, they're done for. But here's the truth. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he promises life to all who trust in him, to all who believe in him. He promises to work powerfully to undo death. And in doing that, we see the glory of God. I wonder what our author, John, the gospel writer, wanted us to feel as we read John chapter 11. Here's what I reckon he wants us to think and feel. I think he wants us to know that Jesus is the resurrection, the life. And I think he wants us to feel loved. I think he wants us to read ourselves into the story as Martha and Mary. 
as those who Jesus loved. And because he loves them, he reveals his glory to them by showing them that he is the resurrection and the life. I think John wants us to feel loved as we see God's glory. I think he wants us to feel secure knowing that the great I am loves us. And I think he wants us to feel confident knowing that death and the evils of this world have not won. I think he wants us to know that today. He wants us to see the glorious reality that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I'm going to pray for us that we would know that and feel that in our hearts. Father God, I want to give you great thanks for this passage that shows us your glory and the glory of your Son, that he has power over death, that with a word he was able to call Lazarus out of the grave. Father, we thank you that you love us enough that you have revealed yourself to us. We pray that you would keep showing us more of your glory, more of your character. We ask that you would help us to be confident and secure in the truth and the reality that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Amen.